All right, good morning. Good morning. All right, we've got to wake up a little bit. I know we don't have bright lights or flashing or anything for you today, but we've got to uh, engage mentally. We're doing some harder work, as you've, uh, you might be able to identify as we've been working through this series. There is more paying attention, but it is all about living, and it's all about coming together as a church in unity, and there's amazing things in that, but we're going to have to engage. To do that, we've got some handouts for you again. There are some still left over here if you didn't already get them. There's pens that you can use there. We've got uh, notes on the screen. You can follow along in your uh, web-enabled smartphone as well. The free app called Uversion. Look under More, and then there's Live Events. Search into one, and you can follow along from there as well. We love the fact that you can get in the habit of having your Bible with you wherever you go. You take your phone. We're all very good at doing that, but you don't often think that what you're doing is giving you a connection to God. And so we want to take that phone that you're already used to having and give an identification for you, a connection that your phone has your Bible on it. And that Bible can be read at any time, any amount of length as well. It, it's not about reading for an hour and a half every day. It's the connection points. We look for those connection points that bring us back to God. We need to get back in the connection. And it's not just about once a day. If you can do it a couple of different times, it can really help you. Okay, so we have uh, that stuff for you. We're working on gifts. And so this idea we're going to come to today is the start of some unwrapping. So before we do that, pray with me, please. Kind Father, I thank you that you are with us on this process. You have set these things in motion. You have set up a system whereby we work with you in partnership to make a difference in this world. Thanks for thinking that we were worthwhile. Thanks for choosing us. Thanks for believing in us. God, we trust you, and we long to see what you will do in us and through us. And so as we start today in this kind of a way, God, I pray that you would speak to me, and I pray that you would speak through me. I am looking forward to the opportunity that I will have later on to engage in some way with someone that you have brought on my path. So for my friends, I pray the same thing, that today you will speak to them and that you will give them the awareness that you will be also speaking through them. They need to be ready for that. Keep them alert. Awaken them, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we started this series, and we have been trying to build a foundation at the, at the start of spiritual gifts, what they are. And before we got to any of the spiritual gifts, we uh, spent a little bit of time looking at the difference between spiritual gifts and uh, natural gifts and acquired gifts. They're not all the same thing. So what are those things? Go back to week one. God chooses gifts for every believer based on how he wants to use those people. That means that the gift that you've got is the one that God chose for you. It's not one of those things you go, wow, I'd really like to return this. I'd like an upgrade. I'd like a better one. You know what? This is the one that God gave you, and the function works together. There, there's not that sense that there's an importance ranking. They all work together and are all essential for how things are going to go. Um, we have no choice in what we are given, but we will be held accountable for how we use it or don't use it. And for most of us, the reality is, and I, not just you, but kind of a North American thing, probably a church-wide thing, the vast majority of people have no idea what their gifts are, and even if they did, they're not consciously engaging the use of them. And that's something that we need to be accountable to God for. He gave us these things for the building up of one another. For the building of the church. And if we are not using our gifts, 
then we are choosing to remove something that God has given for the benefit of all. And that's a, a significant thing. Um, we, have, we talked about the, re the relationship with the fruit of the Spirit to spiritual disciplines and to spiritual gifts. Spiritual um, fruit of the Spirit is the character that we have, the way that God is moving in us. And without that character, our gifts can get us into real trouble. They can mess us up because the character of Christ is what draws us to people. And it, it focuses us so that we don't get crazy on it. Spiritual disciplines are a way that we help to focus our minds and our hearts on God. And so as we pursue the spiritual disciplines, they enable us to connect better with God, which enables more of the fruit of the Spirit to be displayed in us. And so that when we use our spiritual gifts, they are being managed, regulated under the right power and spirit. So that was um, what we've done in the last couple of weeks. Then we, we focused on humility and character. Specifically, last week was the, the idea that the way that we are is so key. So what we're asking for this series is because it is so, I think, foundational to what we want to do as a church to understand the way that we want to live, we're asking that you would try and keep up. So if you've missed a week, go back and listen to it. They're available on the podcast. You can get it through our website or through iTunes. We have had two weeks so far. The first one is, what is a spiritual gift? The second one was about character. They don't sound like they're spiritual gifts, but without those two, we can't go forward well together. And the idea is that we would go forward well together. We're looking for common language, the way that we would speak the same words, because many of us grew up in different places, different traditions, and there's different views of those things, and we use the same words, but our definitions are all different. So what we want to do is come to this place where we would have a unified understanding. Together, this is what we know, this is what we understand, and this is what we will practice. So that when somebody else comes in who wants to join us, we can say, hey, this is what we believe. Why don't you check it out too? Get involved in the whole package so that we can do that. All right, so um, this, this will be a change. We've had two weeks now where we have spoken about spiritual gifts, but we haven't spoken about spiritual gifts. You know what I mean? So I thought today what would be a great idea is what if we actually talked about spiritual gifts? All right, so to do that, we're going to start by not doing that. Um, a couple of things just before we, we get into that. Questions. Some of the questions that are out there that, that bring up this. And the uh, first one is that there are uh, questions about what's important and what's not important. And in different traditions have different statements that they have made on this. So the first thing I want to tell you is that I believe God gave them. So all churches need to use all three types of gifts. That's why they were given. They weren't given for some, but to all. Without all the gifts, the church will become lopsided. If you think of a three-legged stool and you take one leg out, it's unbalanced. It doesn't work properly. That stool will lean. It will go in a direction. And if we were given three streams to work with, we should work with three streams. That's what God had in mind. He has the plan in place. He's working in partnership with us to accomplish his mission. If we don't use the tools that he's given us, we are missing out. So the first group of gifts that we're going to look at are called love gifts. And love gifts manifest the love of God in very practical ways. The next group of gifts, broad classification, we would call them word gifts. And they clarify the nature the actions, and the purposes of God. The last one, 
power gifts. They demonstrate the power, the presence, and the reality of God. Love, word, power. All three groups of gifts are necessary, and they were designed to work in partnership. There is no gift that was better than the others, but what we do have is a way that they work together. Um, so it's not about what's more important, right? So that would lead us immediately to the place where we would say, why do some gifts appear to be so much more supernatural than others? Right? I think that's a, that's a normal place to come from. When you hear about someone being kind, it doesn't sound the same as someone casting bolts of lightning. Right? Not that there's a gift of casting bolts of lightning, as far as I know. But some feel more supernatural. And aren't some gifts really just natural and some gifts really supernatural after all? Isn't that the way it really is? And my answer to you is an important one because the answer is no. And it, it because it's a whole mindset that comes into that. Because of the, the nature of our movement, we have never been about the idea of the separation between the natural and the supernatural to say as if they are not one package. They're not one or the other. And so when we do that, we make that separation. Spiritual, non-spiritual, natural, supernatural. We're really trying to sep separate the secular and the sacred, but they, the world doesn't exist with one and not the other. They exist together. This is the way that we live, and we believe that they, they form one reality and not two alternate realities that we sort of bounce between. We are about the integrated worldview, which is the natural and the supernatural overlap. They coincide. They exist together. And the most central part of it of, of that belief comes back to the hypostatic union. You all know what the hypostatic union is, right? It's a great thing to be able to say. You'll go out, it's a, it's a Christian kind of thing, all right? So don't go dropping this on your non-Christian friends. They'll just think you're weird. The hypostatic union is another way that we describe the incarnation. You remember what the incarnation is? God, all of him, wrapped up in flesh. Fully God and fully man. At the same time, this is what we celebrate at Christmas, this amazing thing that God somehow put all of God inside a human. We believe that this is key in our understanding, that this is a blend together. It's not that the supernatural was um, different, one together. They came together. Um, Jesus was not like a human. He was a human. Jesus was not God-like. He is God all the time. He never stopped being God. The next one would be the Bible. You look at the Bible. We believe that the Bible is God-breathed. It's inspired. It comes from Him, but it's written by humans who use their unique personalities, histories, ethnicities, and experience to share what God was breathing. It's a blend. Again, the natural and the supernatural, but it makes one whole, one reality. So we are not about saying the gifts look supernatural or they don't. They're all part of the package. And each one of them is tremendously significant. Not separate worlds, not separate categories, one world. Um, how did I just, I just jumped right to the end. You might like that. Um, so the idea with the, the, the spiritual gifts. 
Some seem natural. Some seem supernatural. But together, they make up one whole. Can you guess why that is important to us right now as we start? Why is getting that idea clear right at the beginning? Church unity. It is tremendously easy to find a way to separate, to judge, to evaluate, to be different than. And it is so important that we get right off the bat that this is clear. When you use gifts that don't look supernatural, if that's what God gave you, if that's what you are, it is not hard to say, well, I'm not as important as somebody else. And we look at that and we say, if I'm not as important, then God doesn't value me as much. I am less significant. I don't matter. And that is not the way that we are to be at all. You can also be tempted to say stuff like, well, that person knows Jesus better because of what they do. How can I compare in my spirituality when I look at Miracle Bob? Look what Miracle Bob can do. Whoa, he must be closer to Jesus. Dismissing, of course, the fact that God works in and through us. And so Miracle Bob's role is smaller than God's role. Right? Miracle Bob's role doesn't have more of a sense of importance or value than yours does. Um, the perception here matters tremendously because the vast majority of people will have gifts that don't tend towards the miraculous. And even if you do, they're almost always working together with something that's very practical, very hands-on, and some would say even mundane. But this is the stuff that life is. When we have feelings of competition or ranking, we get into real problems about how we will work together as one body. And we looked at what the body meant last week as well. Regardless of the spiritual gifts that you have, last week we learned one word. Do you remember, regardless of the spiritual gifts we have, we are all what? In? Well, <laughs> into one, that's what we're coming to. But the word was indispensable. That's what God chose to say about it. In 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 22, he described us as indispensable to the plan that he has in place. We are essential. Each one, whether your name's Miracle Bob or not indispensable and by that there wasn't a ranking of more indispensable less indispensable it's just indispensable so we start on the same place all the gifts are going to look different all the gifts are going to look different even if it's the same gift when it's a different person we don't all look the same diversity is part of our strength so don't make your life trying to imagine what somebody else is thinking about you don't imagine judgment. It's easy to find it. Don't imagine a motive that you don't know. Let's continually strive for unity because part of the mission of the church is that we would be continually being brought into one. The gifts are to function to support that, that we are being made into one. Not just that I'm going to work for God more than you. We are together being brought into one, and the gifts are a way that we're supposed to do that. That means it's going to take effort at some point to hold on to that unity. Okay, so the idea here is we struggle together as a family to embrace all three different types of gifts. 
that we would use them all with character under the conviction of the Holy Spirit by the Word of God so that we can see and release what God wants to do among all of us. So doesn't it sound like some of the uh, spiritual gifts, they're, they just sound like things that we're all called to do as Christians. And are we not all supposed to have faith? Should we not all be kind to one another? Yes, and we have this shared sense of Christian duty. But a gift is present in a person when there is a passion and an uncommon strength or ability beyond the normal Christian call. It takes you to a place that you wouldn't otherwise get. Yeah, we're all supposed to be involved in evangelism or pastoring and shepherding one another. We're all called to have faith. We're all called to dream, uh, to discern between spirits. We're all called to discern between right and wrong. We're all called to give. We're all called to have mercy. And yet there will be some that have a peculiar ability. They will have a spiritual gifting that enables them to go above and beyond where the average person is. So today we're going to start with the love gifts. That is the first group that we're going to look at. And these gifts are absolutely key. They're foundational. They're the bedrock. And they are the... The reason we're starting with them is because if you had to say what, what can you feel like you could do without, even though they're all essential, some of the other things feel like you could do without. But without the love gifts, we go nowhere. And these are what we're most famous for worldwide. So as we do this, as we go through these, there's a couple of keys. The first key is that you need to listen. Does it sound like that describes me? We're not saying today or tomorrow that this is what you've got. But you're looking for a sensitivity. Does that seem like me? So you need to listen to all the gifts. So if you, if you hear it and you go, oh, that's totally not me. I'm not going to do that, so I'm just going to shut this part off. No, you're missing it because the next part of it is that we are called as the body to help to identify gifts in others. Sometimes it's difficult to see things in ourselves. And the gift of the body is to be able to recognize things in others. So your goal is to listen. Does it sound like me? Does that sound like the way God has moved me? Do I connect with this? And then even if it's not to say, I need to remember that because I have to watch for people around me and I need to affirm them. I need to build them up and say, I see this in you, okay? So in terms of role, not importance, love gifts are supportive. They are building up. They are coming alongside. They help build things that are already in process. Nothing lasts without support. There's no Christianity without love. These gifts are essential. Indispensable, again. So the first one, the gift of administration or guidance. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. We went through this whole thing, but we'll hit some of these passages again, okay? So 12, 27, and 28. Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance. That's the word there, different translations. And of different kinds of tongues. Guidance is a different translation, okay? They just, the administration will show up depending on the translation that you've got there. As in all gifts, it's important to know what they are almost as much as it's important to know what they are not. An administration is not a leadership gift. It is not the one that comes in and says, this is where we are going. It's about supporting a vision. These people are not so much about saying where the church goes, but how the church gets there. And it's an important, important thing to have those two working together. 
called guidance, called administration, wise counsel to the community as a whole. So it works on the benefit of those around. So in, in the Greek, if you go back and you find out the word for administration, the word for guidance is actually the word helmsman. That's what it comes up as. This is the, the point that they wanted to, uh, to make clear. The helmsman gets the ship to its destination. The person who stands between the owner or the captain of the ship and the crew, that's the helmsman. That's the administrator. That's the one with the gift of guidance. They are the one who helped to make it get there, whereas the owner or the captain decides where we're going, why there's a voyage, and what, if anything, we're going to do when we get there. Okay, so there is a, just a separation where we're trying to look at there. Um, the helmsman is about getting us from A to B, a critical role. And it is, as all of them are, limited in function. It's not about being everything to everyone. It's about ensuring that we get there. Okay, so here are some symptoms of this gift. Perhaps you have it. You have a knack for organizing things. You have an enjoyment for organizing things. You like standardizing methods or, or techniques for doing things. You enjoy helping other people reach their goals. You're very others-centered. Your focus is about how we, not about how I. You have a concern for the good of a whole group. You like to do things that help other people. You don't mind managing things or carrying out details. One of the best pictures of this, if you were to look in the, the, uh, the scriptures, you'll find in Acts chapter 6. It's um, a story that tells us about the early church, how they're just getting started. Um, things are going great, and they are starting to anoint people that they're calling deacons. Now, it's important, you know, just side note here again, there are positions that we call elders and deacons. Those are not spiritual gifts. Those are church offices. Those are functions. They hold um, responsibility, but they're not about gifting. Some people who have that office have this gifting, but it's important to make a separation between those two things. Um, Acts chapter 6, starting at verse 1. In those days when the uh, number of disciples was increasing, just stop here for a moment just to give you an idea of what's happening. Um, the church started at about 120 people, and then the day of Pentecost came and the church grew to 3,000, and it wasn't very long after that. The church grew to 5,000 within months. This is a radical change, a huge, unscalable kind of growth. It's um, way beyond what they can, they can handle in a management sort of sense. It's, it's revival, it's rapid growth, it's massive change, and things are uh, exponentially changing, and people are having a hard time keeping up with this. And then suddenly, in the midst of all this awesomeness that, that God is doing, he's pouring out his, his love and his favor, and he's directing people in, and it's obviously a work of God, racism rears its head. And the early church has this first critical problem. The Hellenistic Jews, among them, complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Stop there again. It is not hard to read into this story. And what you just heard there, we would normally have a very strong reaction to, where you would say, hey, I know what you are. You're arrogant. Are you too good for this? You shouldn't wait on tables. You don't love people. You don't care about people. You don't serve people. What is that? It's very easy to read all kinds of things into what was being said there. Reading in intention 
is dangerous. Reading in some sort of underlying motivation is not going to help. But if you understand Scripture and you watch the way and you live your life through the lens of calling and of gifts, you don't presume motive. Everything changes. The twelve understood what God had called them to do and what he had asked them not to do. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This allows people like me to actually pray and preach. That's a key role for me in this church. My role of the pastor, as pastor here, is to pray. It is to preach. It is to provide a vision and a direction of where we are going. That's a big part of what I do. It's not the only things I do. I do other things as well. But that's a big part of what it is. Now, when you come to church, it's easy to bring with you what you remember. You know what? Because I knew somebody before who had the name pastor. I, I know that title. And you know what they used to do? Whatever they used to do, you sort of take with you and you add to somebody else. You say, well, that's what you should do. And the other way we, we figure out the job description for a pastor is to sort of think, well, what do I think you should do? Well, I think you should do that. Therefore, you should. And the, the, the other part that sort of comes out of that is, what do I not want to do? Well, if I don't want to do it, well, then you are clearly supposed to do it. That's the way that it works. All the things that you want somebody else to do. And I would love, even as we're young, to have the idea that this community is started with the idea that our roles in the church are not based on carbon-copied, photocopied job descriptions that you got from somewhere else and you amalgamated. It seems like this would be a good idea. We get this for one person. To say, what are the giftings of that person? And then realize that if somebody else ever does it, their giftings will be different. And we will have gift-based ministry and not simply role-based ministry that says, this is what you should do regardless of whether or not you're good at it. Now notice that these men freed up other people. They released other people to do the work that they were called to do. Administration comes in and it begins to take place. Other people are freed up and a huge conflict is broken because someone who administered well did their job well. The problem of racism is stopped and it's been replaced with resolution. Unity is restored. Unity is maintained. Love is shown. The church as a whole benefits from someone who used the gift of administration well. Those opportunities are now given. Is this you? Does this sound like that kind of a person that you would like to be? Can you do this in submission to Jesus? Is that where you roll? If so, then we are so glad to have you. So glad because there is a desperate need for people with this gift, and the need is all the time. It never seems to go away. First one. Next one, the gift of helps. Maybe you've heard it, the gift of service or serving. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, uh, we just skipped down, teachers, miracles, healing of helping. I realize in that place it's just a very quick kind of thing, but that's what it is. It's also mentioned 1 Peter chapter 4, Romans 12. So if you want to do reading about gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, 1 Peter 4. That's where you find a lot of the teaching around gifts. So 1 Peter 4, let's jump there. 
Each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do it as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Romans 12, 6 and 7. We have all have different gifts according to the grace given to us. Um, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. This gift is awesome. It is such an encouragement to anyone who's ever had to lead anything. It's such an encouragement to anyone who's ever been around someone who does this well. This is aid practically given to other people to service them, to help them when they are in need. It takes a common task and they take it on cheerfully, regularly, and even make it worshipfully. Much of the time, um, this can be about one ministry or helping a ministry do what it needs to do. If we are really lucky, then a large percentage of the local church will have this gift. There's no greater example for service in the Bible than Jesus. He is sort of a, uh, displays all the gifts in different times and different places. But his service is what he's most known for. This is the way that he was. His love shown through service. Um, it refers to the capacity to unselfishly meet the needs of others through very practical means. Um, symptoms of this gift would be you have a desire to help people. You have an ability to see how people can be helped. You have an unselfish nature that can do tasks whether they appear menial or not. And you have a bent towards enjoying practical service more than the theoretical stuff. You have a willingness to do little jobs without credit all the time. You are key in making things happen. You are incredibly important to the church moving forward. Without you, progress is very muddy. It's very sticky. Things are slow, and we just can't seem to move ahead. You are called to serve in the power of God. If you don't help in the power of God, it is easy to end up feeling burnt and used, wasted. You may become bitter, and you'll end up not helping. You'll end up not doing what you were supposed to do for God because of this negativity. But in doing that, you will also not be fulfilling the need, the drive that's within you to serve. It is part of the way God wired you. It's what you're supposed to do. Um, if you don't embrace your calling, you can be in a bad spot. This is about a mutual submission. This is also about how to make sure that people are free to do what they are called to do. The idea here is that it's very easy for someone to be taken advantage of. And as a church, it's our goal as a whole to not take advantage of anyone. But this is a group that seems particularly prone to being taken advantage of. So we need to keep each other accountable. One of the keys to using any spiritual gift is that you will find joy in using it. See, the idea of being a servant is not that you're just more of a slave mentality. It's that what you do actually makes you feel like you're connected to God. I made a difference. I did something that was important. I feel joy. And joy is a way that you can monitor yourself how am I doing with my using my gifts? Joy is one of those things that shows up that is like a status light that comes on to say, my connection with God is good right now. I'm running at four bars. I know that the connection is good because I'm experiencing joy in the midst of all this other stuff. 
Did you know that helps has a cousin? Cousin to helps would be mercy. The gift of mercy looks sometimes like the gift of helps, but they're different. Um, Romans 12 tells us again, if, if your gift is to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. An old word that we have forgotten, we don't use much anymore, and we only hear it in a negative way, but it used to have a very positive meaning, would be related to mercy, it's pity. Pity in the most positive sense. It's compassion. Because of where you are, I want to help you. I want to show generous favor to people who are in serious distress. It's not an emotion. It's a deep calling. It's a divine love under the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus, which will bring glory to God the Father. Never done with a sense of duty, anger, or a scowl. If there is a legalism or if duty is in your heart, then there is no joy in this service. Joy, again, is that key marker to tell you this is God indicating to you you have a connection. You're on the right path. We are partnering well here. This is how your gift should work. So one of the differences between service and mercy is that service quite often works um, with a ministry or a specific thing, a group, moving them in a direction. Whereas almost always mercy works in a one-on-one -on -one kind of scenario that I have compassion for this person in need and I will help. People with the gift of mercy are able to go where other people are leaving. People who, with the gift of mercy go to the, the people that are harder to be around because they're full of need and they're filled with compassion. They don't look at people and say, what's the problem? They don't look at other people and say, why are you in my country? They don't look at other people and say, why don't you get a job? They look at other people and they say, how can I help? The mindset is just different, and they're, they're running on the, the Spirit of God in there. Um, you will tend to be drawn towards the ill, the prisoner, the blind, the foreigner, the grieving, the mentally ill, the shut-in, the uninvolved, the aged. The gift of mercy brings out kindness and compassion, not just a program, but a lifelong calling. A great example of this would be in uh, one line verse, Acts chapter 9, verse 36 tells a, a big, big story in one easy spot. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name was Dorcas. It's a good thing my kids aren't here because they have a hard time respecting that name. She was always doing good and helping the poor. What a way to be remembered. Always doing good and helping the poor. And other translations say that she was full of charity. Um, she was giving alms. The original translation was more like she was always involved in mercy deeds. That's what she was known for. Last gift we're looking at today is giving. This is the gift that most people are afraid to catch. They're afraid that by sitting close to someone who has the gift of giving, it might rub off on you accidentally. It's the one that you hope your spouse doesn't suddenly get. And you say, ah, give me back all my stuff because as soon as I get the gift of giving, I lose my mind and everything that I've got. Romans 12, 8, if your gift is giving, then give generously. People with the gift of giving have a real sensitivity to God, and they want to channel the resources to help others. They can give money, they can give resources, um, and they do it with that key word again. The key word is joy. In doing this, they find joy. They sense that my connection to God is being made. I have four bars. I'm receiving well from him. I enjoy doing this. 
Let's be clear, though. Really clear. All Christians are called to give and to give sacrificially. This is not one of those things that says, I don't have the gift, I don't do it at all. We are all called to do it because in giving, we don't just say, it's a number that I have to hit. I have to hit that number, that percentage. I don't do this based on my tax receding. Nice perk, but that's not what it's about. We are all called to be generous, the wealthy and the not as wealthy. There's a place that we are in this to exercise our faith and perhaps more important than that, to demonstrate the lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord of everything. He is Lord of all parts of us. So this message is for children. It's for teens. It's for college and university students. It's for adults, for young adults, for medium adults, for old adults, for ancient adults. It's for everyone. This is a calling for us all. All Christians, regardless of maturity, this is entry-level and advanced-level Christianity. Each of us is called to give what we can and to live sacrificially to participate in the mission of God. We are called to give regularly, to embody our faith, and to declare time and again that Jesus is Lord, my money is not. We submit all things to His control and watch as our lives are taken under his wing, that he brings it about. Our faith grows because we see again that our God is faithful and he will provide. An unwillingness to give anything is a lordship problem. It's not a money problem and it's not a cultural problem. It's a lordship issue. It's a love issue. Do you believe that God will abandon you as you try to follow him, as you try to submit to him? Does that make sense that that's what he would do? This is a faith tester. How are you doing with that part? Start small. Let yourself grow in the grace of giving. Time, treasure, talent. Remember, Jesus is Lord of all. He directs the usage of all things. The more that we get this into our community, this sort of spirit, the better off it's going to be for all of us. All of us, and then even for people around us, because as we submit ourselves well to the Lordship of Christ, we free ourselves up to be provided for. And in doing that, we see our blessing and our continued blessing as a gift. We were blessed so that we would be a blessing to all nations. That's the way that it works out. Second um, Corinthians 9, starting at verse 7, tells us about this. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that you... So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. We don't give out of shame. We don't give out of guilt. We don't give because the pastor just said what you should do is give. And I'm going to pass the offering plate right now to give you the opportunity to submit your life to Jesus. We give cheerfully, gratefully to God. We will be found faithful when this is the way that we live. It gives us the ability to live in freedom. Freedom from the stuff that manages us. Freedom from the worries that say, you just can't. None of this is about the gift of giving. The gift of giving is above and beyond. It's beyond that sort of thing. And quite often, there is some way that the money arrives for us to give. But it's not exclusively that way. There was the whole group of Macedonian Christians, the Macedonian church that Paul came to and he said, hey, we're collecting for the church in Jerusalem. They're going under really hard times. 
would you give? And they were in poverty, and yet they were noted as a group. God seemed to have gifted this entire group with the gift of giving, that they would be able to give generously to the place where their sacrifice was clear, and yet God would provide for them again, and then they would give again. This is what they were noted for. Love, service, that was one of the first things that people noticed about Christians. This is who they are. This is what they're like. This is how we were identified. Mercy has been another large poster. This is what Christianity looks like. These gifts, when they're on display, are evident to the world, and they say, it's not like us. We love what you're doing. The gift of giving works in that way as well. This is not the way that most people work, and these are evidence throughout our history, and those are some of our greatest signposts that help people to overlook some of our not-so-great signposts. Symptoms of this gift. A sensitivity to recognize the need in others, a quickness to assume some burden for meeting that need, a relative freedom from a self-serving attitude, capacity which provides the means to give to others, and an ability to amass financial resources. In Acts, they talk about how people at the start would periodically give gifts of land. They would sell property. They would sell houses and give the gift to the apostles so that no one would be in need. Time to time, not all the time, but people were able to do this and to, uh, to transform that community. The publicness of those gifts is part of it too. A lot of what we do as giving is very private. It's very, very hush-hush. We put it in envelopes. We sneak it away. You don't talk about it. But there's a publicness to the use of the gift that is not there to glorify the giver, but to encourage everyone else. Wouldn't it be great to have more stories that you could tell? You wouldn't believe what God did in my church. Someone did this. It was a radical act of generosity. I couldn't believe it. The point was not the person. The point is the gift, the encouragement, the, the, the bringing about of that forward view of the ministry. It's an incredibly important thing for us to have stories like this because the, giving, the gift of giving is powerful. It's beautiful. It's testimony building. And in this world, it is desperately needed because we are so egocentric, scared, scarcity-minded, fear-based, that we live in an economically challenged situation that someone needs to display, I will be free from the fear that you all speak of. These are amazing gifts. Some of the most beautiful things that we've ever seen throughout history. And if these are things that you start to resonate, you say, this is me, I see myself in that, fantastic. We're not asking for you to say, this is my gift, this is what I will do. But if you're having a sensitivity that it rises up and you get something in there that sort of says, that resonates with me. I feel like that might have been me. If it was administration or giving or service or mercy, if any of those things you started to resonate today, we want to say not that you're committing to it, but that we want to pray for you specifically, that if this is you, that we would help you to discover who you really are. And if that's you, I would like to ask, if you felt that any one of those gifts sort of describes you, that we would stand so that we can pray for you, that we would bless you in this way, because this is how the church works. This is not about showmanship. This is about understanding who we are and being able to pray together that we would each fill out the role that we are called to have. Is there anyone who felt that they were thinking, Gift of administration, service, mercy, giving. Anyone who felt like any of those gifts looks like you. The gift of being shy. 
please stand. If this, if this is where you are, we want, to, we want to recognize you and say, we're not going to ask you for something special, but we want to pray with you that these things would be developed in you. You benefit us greatly. You are incredibly significant to the health and the growth of this church. Okay, thank you. Those of you who are left, would you stand? Because as in all things, we stand together. We go forward being made increasingly into one. And let's pray for these people who are sensing that these gifts might be theirs. Kind Father, I thank you for your word that speaks to us clearly. Each of us has been gifted. Each of us has been called, and we are in your eyes and in your words. We are indispensable. For these that have a sensitivity that says, that kind of feels like the way I am. God, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for them. I want to thank you for the way that you have made them, for the character that you're creating in them. And God, if this is their gift, I want you to bring it forward, fan it into flame. I pray that you will give them opportunity, that you will give them a spot that they can move forward with this. Honor them, I pray, for these are critical to our future. They've been critical to our past. They're essential in our present. But as we look forward, these gifts are so necessary. God, I pray that you would give these folks pure motives. Fill them with your spirit. Give them opportunity to use these gifts to serve. And as they do that, God, I pray that you would bless them with the gift of joy. I pray that you would empower them by the power of your Holy Spirit to draw, to draw strength directly from you. I pray that you will release them to ministry, that you would give them the freedom to do what it is they are called to do. And God, use them. Use them powerfully to transform into one community church. Use them powerfully to work at transforming this city of Stouffville that we are a part of. God, I pray that you would use them to grow your church. Lord Jesus, you said that you will build your church and the gates of hell will not stand against you. We will advance towards those gates. We will advance towards them and take back. We're not trying to uh, stop you from, or stop Satan from advancing. We're trying to uh, move forward and take back ground that he has already claimed. God, as you do this, use these people, give them a strength to understand who they are, a strength to use these gifts well, and to bring them into that sense of connection and partnership with you. Thank you. Bless these in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. It's better when you're here. It's better when we're together. It's better when we partner together and we do what we do well. Help somebody else find where they're going. Encourage them in that way as well. And watch as great things happen.